Welcome to Excavate, Uncovering Our Place and God's Story. I'm Jamie Dawn. I'm Heather Strong Moore. And we are excited to dive in today. We are looking at the Hebrew midwives, and this is a special bonus episode for International Women's Day. Um, March is Women's History Month, and this is a special day to honor women, and we love it. And so we couldn't let this day go by without celebrating with a few of our um, heroes. And so we are looking at some women who have meant a lot to us as we have thought about our own stories of what it looks like for us to be women of resistance and hope at the same time. So we are excited to look at the story from Exodus today. Let's dig in. So Heather, we are looking today at the story. It picks up in the story of Exodus and it's very early on. Pharaoh Mm -hmm. is starting to get a little bit insecure. So (laughs) he says, I have an idea. Let's make sure that there aren't too many Israelites because that could really harm us. So he's like, call the midwife. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So he says um, to the Hebrew midwives, this is in Exodus one, we're just going to start off here in verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall not let, but you shall let every daughter live. So. I love this story. We have these two women who um, are kind of, you could say minor characters, but it is very powerful. Without them, the whole nation of Israel would look different, Um, but they are women who saw the injustice of Pharaoh, and they were very moved by it, and I just, I love that line that they are like, you know what? we don't know what's happening the israelites they're so vigorous they give birth differently than the egyptian women um and it's just this really significant story of what it looks like when women um say no to the powers that be to fulfill what god really wants to do in the earth Mm -hmm. yes i love that yeah and i love that they are sort of quietly subversive in Mm -hmm. the realm of authority that they have they are quietly subversive to be like no we're not going to do that (laughs) nah (laughs) and instead to choose to fear god instead of fearing Mm -hmm. a government or a regime 
So good. Um, I think anytime that we get names in scripture, we should pay attention because there's a lot of people in scripture that we don't know their names and who are still really important to the Lord, really important in the story of God, uh, important enough to be recorded. And yet we, we don't have their names. So when we do have names, I think it's important to ask the question of what God was trying to communicate by making sure that their names were recorded forever. And I think it's important to point out here because as Americans, we don't have like a monarch. We don't Mm -hmm. have uh, this system. And so I grew up thinking Pharaoh was the name of a person. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, even when you hear the ways that Moses interacts with him later in the story, it does sound like a name, but it is because he's addressing him by his position of authority. So we don't have the name of Pharaoh and yet we do have the names of these midwives. And I think that's so powerful that Shifra and Pua, these are names that we have recorded forever. And yet we don't know who the oppressor is in this story. We actually, he's not named and Mm -hmm. we know him by his position of authority but we don't have his name recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I th- we'll see this some um, later down the line when we talk about Esther, when we get to Esther, but how subversive God is towards oppressive authorities and how God is often kind of like tongue in cheek and a little bit mocking <laughs> um, towards those that um, would want humans to fear them and towards those who want to exert their power for exploitation that God's like, mm, you're not that, you're not that big. You're not that guy. You're not that powerful. And that he's like, I don't really even care what your name is. <laughs> he's like, we're going to, we're not so worried about that, but these women, they're real ones. I want everybody to know who they are for history. And I think again, if we're looking at what, not just what scripture says, but what it reveals to us about God's heart and what it illustrates to us, we see as much as God does care about us being, you know, there's a lot of people I can hear Romans 13 being shouted as I say this, but um, I think there's a story here where God is affirming what happened in order that, so he recorded it. And so these women see that this is a corrupt thing that's about to happen, that this is an unjust action that he's asking them to take. And so because they fear God, they know his heart, I think. And they see that that's what's being done, that they aren't going to act in alignment with the empire. And so they decide to act differently. And I think there's a real invitation for us. I mean, this might be one of the first instances of civil disobedience in scripture, Mm -hmm. I think. And Mm -hmm. I think the fact that it is recorded, the fact that there's not a commentary of that being a negative thing, but that in fact, it says, because the midwives feared Mm -hmm. God, he gave them families that he blesses their action. It is a statement to us that God blesses their civil disobedience, that they would not just fall in line with a corrupt empire, but that they would really thoughtfully say, I'm not going to fall in line here. I'm going to Mm -hmm. act in accordance with Yahweh rather than 
in accordance with the empire. Yeah, exactly. And that they would put themselves at risk in order to do that. Cause they don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they, they kind of yes. tell this little white lie. <laughs> um, they're like, we just couldn't get there in time. We just, I don't know what you want us to do. <laughs> um, which is an untruth. <laughs> um, but they're sort of using, I would say it's a bit of, you know, a, a godly motivated deception. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a thing. <laughs> Um, but in order to subvert evil in order to deflect and discourage the the purposes of evil they are using a a a misdirect if you will and i love that god kind of condones that and i think we see that as well in um the history of the holocaust when there were people and families and communities who would hide jewish Mm -hmm. people in their homes and they would lie to the nazis Mm -hmm. to the gestapo in order to preserve life and in order to choose the fear of God over the fear of man. And so of course that doesn't mean all lying is fine, but I think that it can mean like we can take action in opposition to evil Mm -hmm. and that God favors that God favors us choosing to care for other people and protect and defend those who are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. And I think, um, I think it's, really fun of God to make sure again, that these women are named, but that they are the ones to trick Pharaoh when he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, who doesn't matter so much women, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can let as many girls be born as you want, but just make sure that the sons die. And meanwhile, like what happens in the story here, but as the story goes on is that women are the ones who really kind of play a really subversive role and they're really underestimated. And so I think, um, it's so fun to me that God would kind of do that where he's like, let the daughters live. They can't do anything to us. They're not going to fight back. Cause that's the whole point here is that he's really nervous that at some point the Israelites will be powerful enough to fight back. And meanwhile, the women are the ones who end up fighting back in a really powerful way throughout this story. But especially here that these women in a very subtle way, but very powerful are fighting back and saying, Oh, think you underestimated the daughters here mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly because yeah it starts with the midwives on sort of a small level again like just where they have con- where they have power and influence they're going to exert it mm-hmm. towards the good towards resisting evil intention um and it has this ripple effect so i won't read it but in chapter two we see then moses is born He's just a baby and his mother's like, I'm not going to let this child die. And so she creates um, a basket to float him down the Nile and sends her older daughter, Miriam, to follow him and see what happens. And where does he float? But directly to Pharaoh's daughter, who happens to be bathing in the (laughs) Nile. (laughs) And she sees this baby and she's like, oh. I want to keep him and she knows that he's a Hebrew which is interesting she doesn't doesn't mistake him for an Egyptian child she knows that he's a Hebrew child but she just takes pity on him and brings him into the home of Pharaoh and as as though that's not enough that God is allowing Moses to have refuge in the house of Pharaoh but Miriam his sister is like oh won't you need somebody to nurse the baby (laughs) 
<laughs> and she's like, you're right. Can you find me someone? And Miriam's like, I know just the woman. <laughs> And so she brings Moses's mom to work for Pharaoh's daughter as a wet nurse for her own son. (laughs) Um, And so there's this incredible, again, like, I think God mocking Pharaoh, but he's like, you think women are disposable. You think they're completely um, non-threatening. And here I'm going to have these women, these women, Moses's family hatch this plan. And partly they're just trusting God. Like they don't know for sure. They don't like directly shove Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. Like they're just kind of waiting to see. They're kind of offering him to God and seeing what the Lord would do. And the Lord uses them to be in the right place at the right time to make sure that Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh and that they still get to have a relationship with him, that they're not just sending him off never to see him again but that they still get to be in his life and actually in pretty close proximity to him. And I just think it's so subversive and so like God to be like, actually, Pharaoh, I'm going to raise up the person who's over, who's going to overthrow you and you're going to pay his room and board. (laughs) You're going to directly invest in his growth, in his education, in his nurturing, and he's going to grow up in your house. And I'm going to use that to equip him to be your downfall. I love that so much. And that, that these women just continue to, I think we see it. I mean, it doesn't come out and say this, but I do believe that we are supposed to take from this narrative that these women are placing a great bit of trust in the Lord by doing that. And so I think the fact just again, that these, this part of Moses's story is captured for us is a picture of that that we see their trust in God and we see that they were playing a very active role here that it wasn't like well we're not sure but that actively they were like this is a good way for us to preserve a child and to trust in the Lord and in the story that he's writing yeah yeah and I want to build off that Jamie this is something that is coming to me for the first time that I'm just noticing in my notes. So at the beginning of chapter one in verse seven, it says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. I have a note in my margin, Genesis 1 28, mm-hmm. that they are, the Israelites in this moment, in this time are fulfilling the great commission to fill the earth and subdue it. Mm-hmm. And the midwives are intentionally obeying and interacting with and cultivating the great commission that they are following God's heart. They are following God's design for humanity and believing that this is what God's desire is for them and that they want to be part of it and want to contribute to it. And so they're kind of reenacting God's Mm -hmm. command to humanity. And then something else that's happening is the word for the basket that Moses's mother puts him in is in Hebrew, the same word for ark, like Mm -hmm. Noah's ark. And so we have this child whose life is threatened. These children are about to be exterminated. He they're like, their race is trying to be wiped out. And she puts him in an ark of preservation for him to be preserved from destruction. And how, again, these women are participating in God's history and they're almost reenacting 
the way that he has raised up his people over time, the way that he has commissioned them to fill the earth, to have good calling and to cultivate what God has made and that they're participating in his preservation of humanity, that he doesn't want humanity to come to an end or to be destroyed by evil, but that God always finds a way for his people to persist. And they are, whether they know it or not, moving in that grand history that God has of his people being called for a good purpose and of him allowing them to go forth and continue. I love that so much. And for me, um, just as we've been talking, and I think it is the fact that, like you were saying, evil wants to take out the plan of God. And so mm-hmm. God makes sure to say, I am always faithful to make sure that what I've commanded can be fulfilled. Like God Mm -hmm. graces us to do the things that he calls us to. And so they are fruitful and multiply just as we are made to do. And so, um, and it is kind of this almost comical way. And just as you were talking earlier, it reminded me of Psalm two, and there's a verse in there about how when the nations rage, the Lord laughs. And if I'm honest, that line has always, it used to really provoke me because I was like, why is God laughing? Like people, the nations are raging. This is not good news. Um, But I think there's something to it where it's like in the face of what looks like evil triumphing, evil having triumphed, um, that God laughs at the ways in which the evil and the people who are a part of that think that they've had the final word. And I think there's something to that. And I also think there's something to, um, I've just always thought like, you know what we need in the face of great sorrow is laughter. And so I have to think that even in the midst of, um, these women kind of being nervous and wondering what would happen to Moses, that there had to be that kind of look at God, like, how did this happen where now I'm going to nurse and, um, be a part of Moses's early life? I think there's something to that, that it just made me think about God laughs when the nations are raging. And that's, what's happening here, that Egypt is raging against the Israelites. And so God is like, let me give you something to laugh about here. You think that you've won and here I am, I'm going to play this out in a way that really reveals, um, who he is and that he is the most powerful one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so good. Right. And like that God is, he's, he's counterintuitive by human standards that again, Pharaoh thinks like the men are the threat. They're the ones who might physically fight. They're the soldiers. And God's like, you have no idea what power I've instilled in mm-hmm. my daughters <laughs> um, and what power of determination and imagination and faith mm-hmm. that he had yes. put in his daughters. And so I love that he is defying what sinful humans, what fallen humans would define as power. And God is mm-hmm. allowing a different expression of power yet equally important, equally effective, and perhaps more effective right. to be expressed in the hope of these women and in their desire to advocate for their people, that they're not content 
with things as they are. They're not content with suffering around them. Mm -hmm. They're not content with separation and um, with being robbed of their Mm -hmm. rights and of who they are. And they're going to find a way to still to resist, to maintain themselves and their integrity and to fight for the integrity of their people. So good. I feel like um, that is such an important word. And I think a really encouraging word for us on International Women's Day Mm -hmm. of that reminder that we, that is who God calls his people to be and particularly his daughters. And Um, And so as much as there is this kind of celebration in white evangelicalism of kind of a passive woman, that that's really rarely Mm -hmm. seen in scripture, that that's really not the picture that we get of the women that God invites into his story. And that's not a, that's not to say that like, if you're shy or you don't see yourself as someone who I think I love the way that you said that Heather about these midwives that I'm not sure that they even thought of themselves as very, you know, significant. I don't know that we always see moments of courage aren't always, Mm -hmm. they don't always feel like the most significant moments in our lives. And so I think no matter what your personality is, we Mm -hmm. are called to live into this story of God in a very courageous way, in a very um, subversive way. And that doesn't shrink back that doesn't say um that of course that's you know what are we supposed to do but that we we get engaged in God's story and that we are people of hope and I just see that so much in these women that in the face of what would be easy to be hopeless that they are women who are full of hope and partnering their their faith and their actions with that Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and I, I think that reminds me of I was just at the National Civil Rights Museum uh, two days ago. I live in Memphis, the home of the museum. The museum's amazing. You should all come visit and go to it. Uh, But I was walking, I was taking a group through the museum. And what I always want people to recognize is that these tremendous leaders in the civil rights movement that we see as giants, and rightfully so, they didn't start as giants. They didn't just say, I will now lead the civil rights movement. Um, It always started on a local level. And it started with people being faithful to an opportunity in front of them Mm -hmm. and seeing some kind of injustice or oppression in their community and saying, we're not content with that. We're not content to allow that to be the norm. And we're going to take steps as we're able in our sphere of influence and power to resist these unequal systems. And so I think of specifically Diane Nash. I want to shout her out. If you don't know who she is, please look her up. She's amazing. So she started as a college student at an HBCU in Nashville at Fisk University. And she and a few others, John Lewis, namely, um, they just started with local pastors doing lunch sit-ins, lunch counter sit-ins to protest segregation. And so it was just in the city of Nashville. It was just on this smaller level but they put their whole hearts into it. They took it really seriously and they trained and they understood what they were getting into. And from there, she and others were part of the freedom rides to integrate interstate bus travel and put themselves at tremendous risk for an even bigger cause. Uh, But I just love that they start with what's in front of them and Mm -hmm. they see an opportunity and they are willing 
to address it and to partner with other people to mm-hmm. do that. And I think that's such a good example for us. And I think that's completely following the example of these midwives that I don't think the midwives are like, I will now spark a revolution. Right. <laughs> um, I think they're being faithful to God to say like, this is not right. And I'm not willing to continue to live in this unjust oppression. Mm-hmm. And I think somewhat unbeknownst to them, God is using them to bring forth the person who will lead them out of captivity mm-hmm. and who will spark a revolution and mm-hmm. completely allow God and the people of God to take center stage on the national stage mm-hmm. um, at this time in the ancient Near East. So I love that their faithfulness, it may not have had huge vision at the time. I think they did have vision. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. that they didn't. Um, but that we don't always have to have a huge plan from the beginning, right? That it can start. Cause that can be overwhelming, but I think, especially for us in modern times with social media, we're like, I need to start a campaign. I need to be an activist. I need to change the world. And those are good desires and good impulses, but then where do we start? How do we do that? We don't suddenly be an activist. We don't suddenly start a campaign. Yes. It comes from just learning and growing and participating with other people. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that is a good word for us where we may be feeling paralyzed or limited or just overwhelmed of where to even start, mm-hmm. start with what's in front of you and start by acting in faith to see where could God have something bigger and better for the people in my community and how can mm-hmm. I be participating and moving in hope for what else could be possible. So good. I think we often talk about how lament and hope are paired together and so to lament really is to say like there's a better I actually believe that there's a more hopeful story possible and that we aren't living into that right now and so I think that's what those women are doing and I think um I just really want to talk about Miriam and the role that she continues Mm -hmm. to play so she is a protector of Moses from the beginning um for the most part really plays that role out she's got a little moment um the Lord deals with her about it um if you don't know what I'm talking about she ends up talking about her brother and the Lord doesn't really like it she gets leprosy for a minute but um (laughs) but but for the most part Um, she really continues on in this story. And I think what I love about it is we can see the things that we carry as something small at times, but she has this moment where she is a woman of hope. And so she sees what's happening. And I think because I have to think that she was shaped by that moment of releasing things into the Lord's hand. And then when she sees the bigger story, when she sees what happens when they're taken out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea by the Lord's provision, um, there's this moment of just celebration that breaks out. And we have the song of Moses in Exodus 15, and then Miriam also jumps in. And I have to believe that her early shaping moments were a part of this, where she was able to have the eyes to see that what just happened was really significant. And so she gathers all the women, um, Moses sings the song, and then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. 
the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So again, we see like, I think she's seen God is pretty funny at what he's doing. (laughs) He loves to mock what the enemy thinks he's doing. And so she's like, ha ha, the horse and his rider, he is thrown into the sea. Like she turns it into a song and she's dancing with her tambourines and she is able to see really clearly what God is doing in that moment. And I think um, that's significant. And so it reminds me of, again, I talked about that book where women were a part of celebration and dancing in the streets. Um, and that's what Miriam is doing. And so um, I think there's so many roles that we can play. And the more that we say yes to the things that God is doing, the more we're able to step into them. And so sometimes it's a moment of like extreme courage. And sometimes it's a moment of leading a community into celebration to see accurately what God's doing. And if that's not any smaller, that's not really, it's just a different way of her participating in God's story by her leading the women in dancing and praise of who God is, that he's the one who led them. And he's the one who was triumphing gloriously and in even a comical way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. So our hope for y'all and talking about this story anytime, but especially on International Women's Day is that we would know that we are part of a really beautiful history that God has blessed, uh, mm-hmm. that God has blessed his daughters when we resist evil. And especially when we join with each other in the resistance mm-hmm. of evil, that God desires that God raises us up. God Um, equips us perhaps in unexpected ways. God allows us to fly under the radar when we need to so that we can um, enact his work in ways that maybe others wouldn't recognize at first, but that will bring it to fruition. And so we're so thankful for the legacy that we receive from these women and just for the incredible women around the world and throughout history who have followed their example and that we are part of such a great cloud of witnesses mm-hmm. of following in hope that God calls us to something better and that we don't have to be content with what we see, that we can hope and dream that something else could be possible. Such a good word. So I hope that you take hope in this, that you um, maybe get out your tambourine today, that Let's you sing a song of praise. <laughs> the Lord um, and see the ways in which he is, um, even in our own stories, uh, bringing about a glorious story and that we really do get to be a part of it. So thanks for joining us. We are so thankful that you are along for the ride as we uncover the ways in which women have been used and are such a significant part of God's story. Thanks for digging in, everyone. Have a good day.